0: Well, let me ask you to turn to Psalm 36. Psalm 36. As we turn our eyes to the Word of God, having looked at the last evening service we were together at Psalm 35, picking up where John Carroll uh, had left off in in his previous ministry and going through the Psalms, uh, we now move to Psalm 36 in our serial expository preaching through the Psalms. Uh, This is a short Psalm, only 12 verses. It's a beautiful one. There's a rhythm and a movement in thought in this lament of David to the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God Do we see light? Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Amen. Well, Psalm 36 is an interesting piece of poetry. Remember, it's a psalm. It's, a, it's, meant, it's poetry that's meant to be sung. And this is penned by the king prophet David. Now, it's a lament, as I mentioned earlier, because he begins this psalm lamenting the sad, sad state in which he finds himself. David is writing in a very personal way, about real situations in his life. And so this is a psalm which touches us. It's a human hand that reaches out to us and shares with us something of the pressure and pain that he feels. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep inside his heart. There is no fear of God. David's negative and sorrowful note is... A strong and clear description of depravity. Now, it's it's not the believer who struggles under abiding sin or, or slips and falls into an old pattern that David has in mind here. The language that he uses and the intensity in which he gives it makes it clear that he is referring to not a believer who who makes those small slips that we all do, but one who is malignant against the things of God and God's people. It's the relentless, hate-filled, one who is angry with God and opposed to his people that David has in view. Deep in his heart, transgression speaks to him. Here's a personification of the wickedness and depravity Uh, which is so powerful. It's an active working agent personally involved in the lives of men and women and even sometimes, sadly, boys and girls who set their life against God, Some even from the very beginning as it seems. He flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. Here we read that depravity not only is infecting the inner man with inner sin, but that it manifests itself in a cherishing of outer sin as well. His mouth is full of lies, this one who is malignant against God. Oh, He flatters himself by the evil that he swims in and rejoices in. But his mouth is filled with dirt, with that which is worse than dirt. And he spews it out day and night against God and against the people of God. Oh, a flattering tongue, but a lying tongue. Oh, smooth-sounding words, but barbs, designed to cut down the people of God. And depravity, as we might call him, cherishes even secret sin. He plots, not good, not love of his neighbor, but he plots trouble and evil while on his bed. He sets himself in a time of rest when he ought to be thinking about God and And thanking God for all his blessings of the day? What fills his mind? What teaches his heart in those quiet moments before he drifts off to sleep? Evil. Evil teaches depravity. Wickedness whispers the last words he hears each day. And so this man, depravity, goes from bad to worse and ends up hating God more tomorrow than he does today. Now, if that's all that the psalm said, we would be in a fix because we would be left with this very negative, yet, if we're honest, realistic message about what life is like. Do you remember where you were on 9-11? Now, some of you guys may be so young that you just heard about 9-11 and you weren't there. But uh, I remember where I was I remember where I was when Ronald Reagan was shot. I remember where I was when John Glenn took off in his rocket ship around the earth. But that's because my mother told me that I was one, and she propped me up in front of the TV, and I smiled. But do you remember where you were on 9-11? I was in my office. I'd driven in, speaking to my mother, and the cell phone had gone dead. And I got out, and I went to my I went into my office and I got on the computer to see the daily news, which I always did before I went in to pray uh, at the beginning of class, and I could not get CNN to pull up on the computer screen, one of those cathode cathode ray tubes, you know, old-fashioned things from 1990, and as I walked into the classroom, my eye was caught by a television screen over in the corner of the hallway. There was a set of students gathered there, which wasn't that unusual. They would usually stand there and wait for whatever the lunch was going to be that day at the seminary. And as I walked into the classroom, I saw one of the Twin Towers fall to the ground. We went in and prayed for the mercy of God. And uh, I lectured that day. I probably shouldn't have. We canceled the rest of class, and we all went to the chapel. You know, at that time, we didn't know whether this was the beginning of a much more sustained attack on the country. And we went into the chapel, and Derek Thomas, who had lived through the troubles in Northern Ireland and had had members of his congregation shot 50 and 70 times by the IRA, he mounted the pulpit and preached the word of God in a, in a manner of comfort. That It was more important to us than the prime minister showing up at that joint Session of Congress a week, a week later. Where were you at 9-11? You see, we have faced as a nation and as individuals times where we have been stared down by evil, where men like Ayatollah Khomeini or like Osama bin Laden have looked at us and in effect said, I would like to see you and your children and your children's children all dead. Uh, They, as they have gone to bed at night, have not had visions of lollipops in their heads. They have had visions of death and terror. And they have wanted with all of the fiber of their being to undo our nation and our lives. What are we to do when faced with depravity like that? That's exactly what David is describing here. What do we do? Well, David gives us here in his song a wonderful instruction about what not to do. We are not to dwell upon the evil. We are not to sit and ruminate and go over and over and over and work ourselves up into a fit concerning evil in this fallen world. But rather, we are to follow the example of a man after God's own heart. What does David do when he hears this description of depravity? He then hears a description of deity that comes to him by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He thinks about God and it's only in the proper context of the Creator and the Redeemer and the Sustainer that we can know how to respond to evil, even unmitigated evil that we face. Hear what David writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. First in, In verse 5 we read that God is filled with loving kindness. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Here God's covenant love and His faithfulness to His people are being extolled. And in the context of one who wants to undo his life and his kingship and his nation, whose very eyes scream depravity at him, David takes comfort in the Lord, who the Lord is, what the Lord is what like, and that he can be trusted in time of terror and trouble. He doesn't stop there. He gives us another couplet. Your righteousness, in verse 6, is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. And now we hear David as he moves from the character of god as holy and righteous to the fact that he is able to see and know all and that his judgments are inscrutable to us and absolutely perfect and crystal clear for him he sees the depths of the through the depths of the sea in the depravity of our souls oh david rightly turns to our God, this God, for his comfort when facing the evil one. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. He sees that God's loving kindness implies his protection, even if one is snarling in his face and wants to undo his life. And he goes on and says, They feast, that is the children of mankind who take refuge in the Lord. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the rivers of your delight. For with you is the fountain of life. And in your light do we see light. The provision of God as well as His protection is waved by David in front of our face. The terrible one comes at us and lunges at our life with a knife, and David sings to our souls about the protection which God is powerful to bring, the commitment to His covenant promises that He will not go back on, and His provision, His sweet and beautiful spiritual food and drink for our souls that we find in Him and Him alone. Oh, David is singing a beautiful song to us that began in a minor key with all of its Wagnerian stark tones and sounds. And now he's broken into a Bach-like melody. And it's beautiful to hear. Verse 9 is so lovely. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And so the theme of tracing... The power and might and goodness of God through creation. And those little hints and notes of redemption that he gave in verses 7 and 8. Now combine here. For he's talking about the uncreated light of God. That which is back in the very being of God. That in God's light, by God's word that reveals it to us, we can also see and know that which is good and pure and great in thy light we see light o oh god is a profound theological statement on david's part about who god is and what he's like and that our christian lives are lived on the basis of who god is it's a wonderful passage life implying the creator-creature distinction that we receive our life from Him. and light, the uncreated knowledge and truth, our inescapable dependence on God for real, true living. And David is not a man with his head in the sand. He has this picture of depravity that he sketched for us, this picture of deity which he has painted And now he turns in the midst of lament to God and he prays to his heavenly Father for protection. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Here David is pleading not just for God to be nice, not even for God just to be good, He's pleading for God's covenant blessings and mercies, which he's already promised. David is a clever theologian. He doesn't kind of make it up as he goes along. He's going back to the inspired Word of God, handed down through the prophets of old, which have envisioned and seen by the work of the Holy Spirit in them, the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And David puts his finger right upon that thread of, the covenant of grace down through the pages of Scripture, and he says, Oh, Lord, you promised do that because he knows that that covenant of grace will deal with these depraved people that are out to get him. Restrain depraved men, he says in verse 11. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me Nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. David needs victory now and here in this life. And so he pleads to God on the basis of his covenant promises for it. And then he ends his lament on a very blessed note. There the evildoers lie not triumphant, not boastful, not full of arrogance with their own depravity puffing them up from moment to moment. But there they lie, fallen. They have been thrust down by Almighty God, and they are unable to rise again. Oh, David looks forward to victory, which he can only see with the eyes of faith. You see, what began to lament is still the case after you've sung 12 verses and the ink is barely dry on the page. David was still faced with these enemies, but his heart was informed by the Word of God. His soul was resolved to follow the covenantly faithful and keeping God who would not abandon him in the face of such challenge and opposition unmitigated hatred of God and of His people, what do we do? We find our safety in the great and good God, our Lord. David wrote this psalm, but he's not the only one that sang it. We do well to remember that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ also sang this psalm. The psalms have a messianic dimension to them, David's whole life had a messianic reference, and our Lord took these words upon his lips, his mother taught him, and he sang these in his own life rightly and to our blessing and benefit. He inspired them, the Holy Spirit, which picked up and carried along David to write these words. Was he not poured out by the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity? In cooperation with his heavenly father? And was the one who inspired these words also not able to illuminate? Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. And so he rightly was able to appreciate the full meaning of these words as they were intended from the very beginning that he gave them. Do you remember what John said about Jesus? As you hear that language of, In your light we see light, we remember. In Him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You Remember that John was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, His own people, And they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. These words, that in thy light we see light, pointed forward to the coming of the one who would announce, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. These words were about Jesus. And so David was speaking, pointing to John 1, pointing to John 8, pointing to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who fulfilled every word. Oh, you have never stared down depravity in its fullest form, in its most wicked and dark form, if you've merely stared it down in the face of a Philistine or outside the church. Where it is most heartbreaking and difficult is where there is an unmitigated hatred of the things of God and the true people of God within the church. And that is what our Lord faced. The look of the Pharisees the countenance of the Sadducees, they most certainly, as we put on the spectacles of the Word of God to judge the matter, they hated God our Heavenly Father, even though they yet professed to love Him and to speak on His behalf. And that anti-Christian spirit is one that has been alive and well down through the ages. Oh, Jesus faced it and the Pharisees and Sadducees and rulers of His day. He knew them for what they were. And so what did He do? Many, many would get indigestion dwelling upon them and their power and their influence and the way that they might undo us all. But our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He just kept singing. And He sang, verse 5, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. And He sang, verse 7, How precious is Your steadfast love, O God. He sang, verse 10, O continue Your steadfast love to those who know You and Your righteousness to the upright of heart. And He knew that he was the son of the Father's love. And his heavenly Father would answer him, yea and amen. And he would yet triumph in resurrection light. And we sing these words. We sing them because they've been given to us by Jesus. Given to us by His Spirit which He poured out upon David, we have inherited them from the Old Testament. Uh, given to them, given to us once again through Jesus Christ Himself as He has sat in the sanctuary with His people and sang these words. And so we embrace them as well in worship. Oh, how down through the ages the church has always faced the enmity of the children of the serpent who seek to undo us. We prayed for the Blands earlier this evening. We do well to pray for the Blands and to pray in just these terms. For the hatred of violent Islam against the church is an unmitigated kind of opposition that boasts in its depravity and seeks to undo Christians at every turn. And in seeking to undo the church, they seek to undo the church in its union and communion with Christ. And so they persecute Him. Yes, we see them for who they are. Yes, we remember to pray to our Heavenly Father. But we also remember what our Heavenly Father is like. We remember His steadfast love, His righteousness, His righteous judgments to come the fact that He feeds our souls with great abundant spiritual food and that He will not let the foot of the arrogant be upon the neck of His people forever. They will be put down, unable to rise. We live in the time between the times of His first and second coming. We live in a time in which a great drama and play are being acted out according to the script of the sovereignty of God that we cannot fathom. We ourselves are part of His body, and therefore we should expect that if the head has suffered, so will we. We suffer danger and pain. We suffer deprivation and fear. But in Christ we do triumph. And so we can trust in Him. And in His time, He will put them down. Our Lord commands us to pray for our brother and sister who are in Nigeria and the church there that they serve. And we pray knowing that the forces of opposition that seek to undo them and the people of God in that place have set themselves against Yahweh. And no matter how steely their resolve, and no matter how deep and dark the evil in their eye, the Lord will win and they will lose. My brothers and sisters, I leave you with this thought. David, by writing this text and Jesus by singing it and putting it in our mouths, has given us the proper way to approach such unmitigated evil and depravity. We must not in our opposition of evil become infected by its impiety. We must remember that the Lord is sovereign and He is working all His holy will. And so what He has revealed to us of His will in His great covenant of grace that is ground on which to plead, we do not become as hate-filled as they are. We do not become as evil scheming as they are. We do not become those who lose their peace with God because we're stirred up about all the bad things in this world, even horrible ones. But rather, we enjoy sweet, peaceful sleep because the Lord will put them all down in His time. Let us pray.